0: Hello, folks. Welcome to Asbury United Methodist Church's podcast. My name is Forrest Devine. I'm the lead pastor here at Asbury. Thanks for joining us. As always, we hope that this episode will enrich your walk with Christ, increase your knowledge of the Bible, and just maybe entertain you a little bit. I'll uh, apologize in advance because, as some of you know, my daughter started daycare here in in the last couple of weeks. So we're in that phase right now where the entire house just sort of constantly has a low-grade cold. So if I start coughing or sneezing in the middle of all this, uh, I'll I'll try and mute the mic as quickly as I can, but bear with me. Um, This week, if you are reading along in our Bible reading plan, you will have, um, well, you're about to start Galatians. You've been in 2 Corinthians now for a couple of weeks. Um, We've already kind of covered that in this podcast and you've just started Isaiah, but I'm preaching on Isaiah over the next couple weeks. So, uh, you're going to start in two, well, actually, sorry, I record these a little bit in advance. The, the day this podcast is released is the day you will start reading the book of Galatians, which is one of my favorite books in the whole Bible. And I'll tell you why in a minute, but, um, to give you an idea of, of Galatians, um, Galatia, where the Galatians are from, Uh, Galatia was a province of the Roman empire, which is located sort of in the very center part of what we now call Turkey. Um, it's a really odd region in the ancient world because centuries before Roman rule, uh, three Celtic tribes migrated into that region and conquered it. And they established a very large Celtic kingdom in the middle of what is now modern day Turkey. So, um, ethnically and religiously this is a weird place very different in some ways you would imagine from the rest of the ancient world and yet they have the same kinds of problems um and oddly enough eventually one of the kings of that kingdom uh literally left the kingdom to the romans in his will so when he died the whole region just became a roman province um just a little fun historical fact for you so so paul's letter here is not actually to one specific church but it is to uh, all the churches in that region of turkey and i don't i don't know how many there were i don't know that anybody knows how many there were but regardless this is a this is a, a letter written to a, a large group of people um spread over a, a pretty wide area so that alone makes it a little different from some of his other letters, which are always written to a church in one particular city. This would be churches in several different cities all getting this letter, either getting the same copy of it or having one person take the copy and read it to them as he travels through the area. Galatians is also Paul's angriest letter, and that's why I love it so much. Um, it's, it's just fantastic to me to, to read Paul. Uh, paul's angry letter to the galatians now uh, you'll you'll notice i mean sometimes sometimes the, the the language of the letter can obscure the emotion behind it um and, and so you may not pick up on this anger at first but it, when, when you can tell paul is angry about it is um you notice in most of his letters he begins, right, he has his greeting, and then he spends like a chapter or two talking about how great the church is that he's writing to you, right? I thank God for you every day. You're doing so great in this way and in this way. Um, and, and it's only after he's buttered them up and, and made sure he know that they know that he knows that they're doing some things right, that he then gets into the problems. With Galatians, he doesn't do that. He skips over the pleasantries and just dives right into tearing him a new one. Um, and I'm going to read just, just the opening of this letter, the opening like nine verses. And and this translation uh, is a really cool uh, Bible. It's called The Bible for Everyone. Um, it, it's it's written by, well, it's translated by two uh, very well-respected Bible scholars. Uh, John Gate did the Old Testament, N.T. Wright, my all-time favorite New Testament scholar, did the New Testament, uh, and it's it's done in a way that's intended to be as accurate as possible to the original translation, but also uh, as readable as possible for the modern reader. So, just to, to read to you these opening verses. <coughs> Paul, an apostle. My apostleship doesn't derive from human sources, nor did it come through a human being. It came through Jesus Christ the Messiah, and God the Father who raised him from the dead. And the family who are with me, to the churches of Galatia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and Jesus the Messiah our Lord who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of God our Father, to whom be glory to the ages of ages. Amen. I'm astonished that you are turning away so quickly from the one who called you by grace and going after another gospel. Not that there is another gospel, it's just that there are some people stirring up trouble for you and wanting to pervert the gospel of the Messiah. So right away, I'm astonished that you're turning away. Let's let's back up for a bit. This opening verse, right where he explains my apostleship doesn't derive from human sources. It's like he's reminding them, um, "I'm Paul." In case you forgot who I am, I. It's like he's comparing. So we'll, we'll get into this in a minute. But but Paul is is trying to establish it right off the bat. Did do you not remember who I am? I'm Paul. I am the apostle who saw Jesus on the road to Damascus. I know what I'm talking about you ignorant twits <laughs> that's the subtext the ignorant twits bit um, and, and then he dives immediately right I'm astonished that you are turning away so quickly from the gospel that I preach to you so <laughs> he gives them this this snarky sarcastic greeting and then dives right into the problem so evidently there has been a new teaching, introduced to the galatians which is a false gospel now we're never told in the letter directly what it is we're just told that paul is shocked and appalled that they would believe it but we can piece together from the rest of the letter just what this false gospel looks like we know for instance uh that it includes the idea that circumcision was necessary for salvation which i guess means uh sorry ladies i don't know that you'd be included um In fact, it it actually seems as though they have been taught that they have to keep the whole of Jewish law if they want to be saved. So they've been taught and they've believed that salvation comes only through obedience to the law and not through faith in Christ. Now, we don't know exactly who taught them this, but it seems as though um, it would have been the... Jewish converts to Christianity in Galatia. In other words, it's not that there is another apostle who's like following behind Paul in Galatia and contradicting him. It's that the Jewish Galatian Christians, so the people in Galatia who were Jews, who who believed in the gospel, have come back and said, yeah, you know what, actually, uh, I think we still have to go keep all this other stuff we've been doing our whole lives. And by the way, you Gentiles do too if you want to be saved. Now, this is not a unique issue in Galatia, but it does seem as though it's it's um, perhaps become a more popular idea in Galatia than it did in other churches. Um, we know in other letters that Paul has to sort of write against this idea, but he never has to do it quite so viciously as he does in Galatians. So it may, so it seems like um, f- first these these Jewish Christians have been teaching everyone, hey, you have to... Follow the law if you want to be saved. It's not enough to have faith in Jesus. You've got to do all the right things, too. And it seems, by contrast, that they have been casting aspersions on Paul. Now, we know in the early church, there were factions who um, really liked Paul. And there were factions who really liked um, Peter, James, and John. Sometimes called the Three Pillars or the Jerusalem Apostles. And it's worth pointing out that Paul, Peter, James, and John never uh, actually encouraged those divisions, and in fact worked tirelessly to erase them, because they all saw eye to eye on just about everything. Actually, they had some conflicts here and there, but never about what they believed. Um, just about you, you, right? there's there's a conflict between Peter and Paul at one point, but it's not because of what they believe. It's because Paul doesn't think that Peter is actually living out what he believes. So this is this is a a division. That is not actually within the leadership of the church. It's just within the followers of the church. Some people like these guys better. Some people like Paul better. And so it, it these these this sort of faction of Jewish Christians who insisted that everyone had to keep the law very often would tell people that, well, you know, Peter, James, and John, those guys are the real apostles because they were really with Jesus. This, this Paul guy, you don't have to listen to him. He doesn't know what he's talking about. Um, which is why... Paul has to open this letter by saying, excuse me, you know exactly who I am. You know exactly why you should listen to me. Now, now shut up and pay attention, right? I mean, he kind of has that. Um, So Paul is absolutely stunned that the Galatians have so quickly abandoned the gospel for this teaching, particularly the Gentile Galatians. Uh, And he's really genuinely having trouble understanding how that could be he's horrified and he's indignant because it's as if all his work among them has been in vain so this whole letter is is a combination of Paul rebuking the Galatian churches for their abandonment of the gospel and reminding them of why they do not need to follow the law in its entirety in in order to be saved and because he's angry he gets kind of snarky and sarcastic at times and, and it's just delightful Uh, so enjoy reading galatians it's it's one of my genuinely favorite books uh, in the bible both because of paul's snarkiness but also because of of how it lays out what christian faith looks like and how christian faith uh, is different from faiths that have gone before it because of course he's having to come back and and, you know within judaism there were lots of clear boundaries right this is food you can't eat. This is food you can't eat. These are people you can associate with. These are people you can't associate with. All right. So Paul has the, the famous line in Galatians of there is neither Jew nor Greek, male nor female, slave nor free, um, which gets abused all the time to support things that have no bearing what Paul actually meant. He just meant all are equal in the kingdom of God. Um, it doesn't mean that that differences go away or cease to matter. It means that differences no longer give one person any kind of superiority over another. Uh, and this is how the kingdom of God is supposed to look. So, fantastic stuff in Galatians. and I'm <coughs> Excuse me. I'm going to move on from Galatians now. Because we actually got two questions this week that are really good. And I want to give them some time. But also because, as you can tell, uh, my throat is not going to allow me to talk a whole lot this week. So, the first question, which is a really good one, and, and I'll be honest, I had not thought about this until this question was asked. Why were the disciples given the Holy Spirit in John chapter 20, verse 22, and again in Acts 2? Fantastic question. Well, first things first. Let's look at John 20 verse 22 this is of course near the end of the gospel of John which only has 21 chapters and this is uh, this is the day of the resurrection this is on Easter Sunday Jesus has been raised from the dead and he is appearing to his disciples I'm actually going to start couple of verses before verse 22. we start in verse 19. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being shut where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. And then uh, Acts 2 is, of course, the story of Pentecost, where the disciples are waiting in in the room for the Spirit to descend on them. And Jesus has already ascended by the time the Spirit descends on them. So what gives? Well, <clears throat> there are actually multiple theories as to what's going on here. And, and there's some disagreement. Some people say... That because, you know, Acts is written by Luke. And it is the second volume of Luke's, you know, the Gospel of Luke and the Book of Acts were, were one book originally. So Acts is like Luke Volume 2. Well, John doesn't have a second volume to his story. So some people have suggested that John sort of condenses the narrative a little bit. And that in John's story, uh, he puts Pentecost, basically, before the Ascension whereas Luke doesn't. A couple of problems with that. Um, In general, the Gospels and and the New Testament as a whole are pretty good about keeping major events in the proper order. There might be within the Gospels some disagreement on when Jesus told a certain parable or other things like that, but he also told those parables hundreds of times in, in plenty of different villages. So... You don't have to worry so much about whether those events line up. But in general, the major events of Jesus' life are told in the same order most of the time. So it would be really odd if John actually moves the event of Pentecost to the same day as the resurrection of Jesus, while Luke didn't. Another interpretation is that, and this is a really old one, by the way, it dates back to one of the early church fathers named Cyril of Alexandria. And uh, other theologians have picked up on it through the centuries. John Calvin thought this was the way to go, for instance. Um, But Cyril says that, that John actually is recording a lesser impartation of the spirit with lesser gifts while acts is recording a much more powerful event so it's like they got like a little tiny bit of the spirit here on this day and then on the day of pentecost they got more other people say well the one in john is just symbolic they don't actually receive the holy spirit until the day of pentecost and other people still say that jesus was effectively telling them wait until you receive the holy spirit And then you can go do all this stuff. I kind of like the idea that maybe they only partially received the the spirit in in John, but didn't really receive the spirit in full until Acts. Um, But there are problems with that too. The unfortunate reality is we may just not have a good understanding of what all this means, and we might just have to be okay with that. If I had to guess at which one of these is most accurate, I would probably have to say it's it's that the, the one in John is symbolic and it's saying, hey, wait until you receive the Holy Spirit. You know, Because we know, I mean, Pentecost is kind of a fixed date. We know when it happened. Um, it's a big moment in the life of the church. Um, we know they received the Holy Spirit on that day and that something different happened on that day that had never happened before. So whatever's happening in John has to be a bit different. And it seems to me most likely it's probably just Jesus, uh, symbolically doing something, uh, or maybe even just telling them, you know, you're going to receive the Holy Spirit. Wait until you receive. We know, by the way, that after Jesus ascended, they spend all that time in prayer until they receive the Holy Spirit. So perhaps, perhaps what happens is Jesus tells them, receive the Holy Spirit, and then they have to spend some time praying for it. Um. Regardless, any of these are kind of speculation. It's it's one of those frustrating parts of the Bible where even the the wisest scholars can't always agree on just what exactly is going on. But it does seem likely that it's there's there's something symbolic happening in John that points ahead to the future in Acts. The second question is about two different uh, verses in two different Gospels. So the question is can you explain Jesus saying that he who is not with me is against me and he who does not gather with me scatters in Matthew 12:13 but then in Luke 9:50 Jesus says he who is not against you is for you because these verses uh, seem to be in direct opposition to each other So real quick let's let's read these verses and in both of them I'm actually going to read them um I'll read a few verses around them so you get the full context. I'm going to start in Matthew 12, verse 22, and we'll get to 30. Then a demon-possessed man, who was blind and unable to speak, was brought to Jesus, and he healed him so that the man who was unable to speak talked and could see. All the crowds were amazed and were saying, This man cannot be the son of David, can he? But when the Pharisees heard this, they said, This man casts out demons only by Beelzebul, the ruler of demons. And knowing their thoughts, Jesus said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and no city or house divided against itself will stand. And if Satan is casting out Satan, he has become divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And if by Beelzebul I cast out demons, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they will be your judges. But if I cast out the demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or how can any anyone enter a strong man's house and carry off his property unless he first ties up the strong man? then he will plunder his house. The one who is not with me is against me, and the one who does not gather with me scatters. Therefore, I say to you, every sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven, but blasphemy against the spirit shall not be forgiven, and whoever speaks a word against the Son of man it shall be forgiven, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit it shall not be forgiven either in this age or in the age to come. So that's in Matthew. Now we'll go to Luke nine fifty, and we'll read, as I said, we'll read a bit around it. <coughs> and we'll really only just start one verse ahead. In verse 49, actually. John answered and said, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to prevent him, because he does not follow along with us. But Jesus said to him, do not hinder him, for the one who is not against you is for you. So in Matthew's gospel, Luke is talking to the Pharisees who are claiming that Jesus is using demonic power to cast out demons. And so then there's this whole discourse about the foolishness of this idea that Jesus would use demonic power to cast out demons. Um, Only divine power can cast out the demonic so he's drawing a very sharp line between the divine and the demonic, and he's telling the Pharisees, you're either on this side of the line or you're on the other. And and the Pharisees, by the way, would have been asked by people to cast out demons on a pretty regular basis. Um, and in this particular case, it's possible they had been asked to cast out the demon in this man and were unable to do so. So there may be some jealousy at play here. But what he's actually telling them is, you either have faith in God or you don't. There's no middle ground. You can see what I'm doing and you should know that your Scripture's well enough to know what it all means. So if you choose to believe that I'm not the Messiah, you're siding with the demons. And then there's that bit about the, the Holy Spirit and the unforgivable sin. And I'll just give you an aside here because that's a question lots of people have. The reason that sin is unforgivable is not because like God would not forgive you at all. It's because if you are denying <coughs> the Holy Spirit, you are denying the very power which connects you to God. It's like you are shutting the gate that lets forgiveness in. Um, it's unforgivable because you're not allowing yourself to be forgiven. That's an aside. So um, the, the the related to this question, the point is that Jesus is talking to the Pharisees and he's saying, uh, who are accusing him of, de- of demonic activity, and he's saying, no, 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 actually, I'm the one doing the holy work. You know your scriptures well enough to know that that, that I'm doing the holy work. And if you're going to choose to deny me as the Messiah, you are siding with the enemy in this case. Whereas in Luke, there's something quite a bit different going on, right? One of his disciples comes up and tells him, hey, we saw this guy casting out demons in your name. And we tried to stop him because he wasn't, he's not following along with you. He's not one of the disciples. And Jesus says, no, don't do that. He's got faith in me. He's casting out demons in my name. That makes him one of us. So in one passage, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees who are trying to convince people he's demon-possessed. And in the other, he's kind of telling his disciples to uh, stop gatekeeping the faith, right? It's as if they're saying only the only people who can do the work in Jesus' name are the people who actually follow him like us from day to day. And Jesus is saying, no, no, actually, the whole point of this mission is so that people will keep doing things in my name after we've left the village, so if you see someone casting out demons in my name, let him be. Let him do the work. That's exactly what I want. Um so it is it's two very different conversations and two very different subject matters. Um and, and Yeah, it, it the phrasing of those two is off, but really that's because you've got two different authors writing the story in two different ways. Um but the message is actually fairly consistent, right? The, the Pharisees are, are actively denouncing him and calling him demonic. And he says, listen, if you want to do that, that's fine. But that makes you actually the one who is on the side of the demonic. And in the other case, he's got someone who's not one of his disciples, right? Not following him day to day. And the disciples are the ones who are saying, well, that person shouldn't be doing this. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. Let him work. He's doing my work. So I, I hope that clarifies things for you a little bit. Meanwhile, folks, my throat is about to give out, so this was a relatively short podcast this week. Uh, Before I get into another coughing fit again, I'll just tell you, uh, we'll see you all next week. God bless.